get going with the August 3rd edition of the show that shakes the Southland. This is y'all. Hello, I am the general of all things Southern. John Rawl is my name. And this show powered by y'all.com. We've got a busy, busy Thursday edition of y'all. And we appreciate you taking time out of your day to tune in on great stations, as well as those who get the podcast form of the y'all show. In this hour, we've got news headlines. And the big story today is what's happening in Washington, D.C. as the 45th president faces yet another indictment, this time for his alleged trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. So we'll go to Washington, D.C. for all the latest coverage of that in our news headlines today. We also have coming up on today's Y'all Show a lady from, I think she is from Baker. Yeah, the lady from Baker, Louisiana, has now taken over as U.N. president. Congratulations to Linda Greenfield. She's kind of been involved with the U.N. the last few years, and now she's the U.N. president. We're going to tell you how she rose to be the head of the United Nations from Baker, Louisiana. Yep, we've got a Southerner doing great things. We'll tell you all about it. Also, some news out of Louisiana. A federal jury has acquitted a Louisiana trooper that was caught on camera. You might remember this story. He was caught on camera beating up a black motorist. We'll give you the story out of the Pelican State on that. Virginia Tech, it's doing away with legacy and early decision admissions. Is this the first chip to fall, at least in the South, following the Supreme Court case where they said you can't use race as a determinant when you're trying to pick people to come into your college? And so now colleges are looking at all kinds of their policies. And one of the issues, for example, up at the Ivy League schools, was yes, they were letting in a lot of blacks compared to Asians. The numbers were just completely off base. That's why there was a lawsuit. Ultimately, the Supreme Court sided with the, I think it was an Asian student group that that put that thing forward. Well, now it's being revealed that these established colleges, your Ivy Leagues, and and it looks like even a team out of the uh, ACC and Virginia Tech, They've got way too many legacy and early decision admissions, and Virginia Tech's going to do something about it. I'll tell you in our headlines here in a few minutes all about this story from Blacksburg, Virginia. Out of Tennessee, we've got a breastfeeding story. Yeah, just what you've always wanted. TenCare expanding breastfeeding benefits. What does that mean for mommies in the volunteer state? I'll let you know all about it. Also, a story out of the Memphis area. A woman... Not only beat up her friend, but she locked her in the bedroom because she snitched. We'll have the story from Memphis about Katrina Blades. All that coming up in our news headlines today. Plus, hey, it's hot out there. Yes, we know that. We know there's side effects of it being so daggum hot. And you know what? Unfortunately, one of those side effects is the chance that you're going to get bitten by a snake. As snake bites are on the rise as temperatures increase, I'll tell you what to do in our headlines today across the southeast plus in arkansas on wednesday they had one heck of a car crash it would happen near prescott on interstate 30 and this wreck left drivers in a very cheesy situation because strewn across the interstate there 
were lots of nacho chips because a truck hauling a bunch of chips crashed and yes you could see chips galore and maybe even some nacho cheese out there cans of nacho cheese spilling out all over the place Mm-mm. normally that's a good combination but maybe there weren't so many chips it was more of the nacho cheese all over interstate 30 well <laughs> this one you need to just see for yourself we've got that in our headlines today plus before we get out of here today i'm gonna tell you about how this is national oyster week and they're celebrating in the chesapeake bay in maryland and we'll explain just just how they're celebrating in that beautiful section of the southeast also we will tell you about willie the texas rodeo goat yeah willie's been missing he's been on the lamb <laughs> the goat has been on the lamb for quite some time as he escaped from an arena enclosure back on the 15th of july well great news out of the houston area willie the rodeo goat has been found and i'm going to tell you more about this lovable little creature in our news headlines today so we got plenty of news headlines we got plenty of sports to talk about and oh i love when this topic pops up but man there's no good solution we got conference realignment happening right now just weeks before the start of a brand new football season and the latest is the pac 12 the big 10 and now the acc all with potential changes and the sec sitting back negotiating probably behind the scenes we're going to tell you a story from al.com of how commissioner greg sankey of the sec commented on florida state's admission wednesday they're not happy with their conference the acc and potentially they're looking to jump well fsu is not about to jump to the sunbelt conference or conference usa if they're going to jump they're going to try to improve their lot and guess what the only option they've got is the southeastern conference but remember fans of the sec you've been jilted by fsu twice you have absolutely been left at the altar by that university in tallahassee more than one time remember they were supposed to be the original expansion team back in 1992 instead that expansion went to the Gamecocks because FSU said, nah, we're, we're going to go over to the ACC. And then when there was expansion again, FSU didn't want any part of the SEC because they were enjoying all the dominant success they had in the ACC, including for the first time in their school history as a part of the ACC, Bobby Bowden and the Knowles won a national championship on the football field. Well, times have changed, and now FSU is getting ripped off by their existing tv contract with the acc so we'll get into some scenarios and are we going to see the Knowles knocking on the sec's door and will the sec let them in and if they do surely to goodness they're going to let at least one and possibly three more schools into the sec to make it a 20 team conference i think they will i absolutely do i think we're right on the edge of having a 20-team SEC league, and then they'll call it a day forever unless somebody decides to take off for another conference. And I can't imagine that happening, but hey, we never thought we would have a 16-team SEC just a few years ago. So we've got conference realignment and more to tell you about 
on today's Y'all Show and our sports coverage. Also, this hour, we've got hashtag hullabaloo, and it's actually a little bit more of a serious topic that we're going to address as someone has texted us information about child labor laws in the state of Arkansas. What, what is this all about? Because according to the text, they allow in Arkansas children to work under the age of 15. I, I don't know if this is true. I'm going to have to just throw it out there, and we all can do the research, but we're going to talk about child labor in Arkansas as part of our hashtag hullabaloo coming up here in this first hour. Hour two today, we've got country music news and notes. And congratulations to the Oak Ridge Boys as this year they mark 50 years of being together with the current lineup. William, Lee, let me see if I can do it off the top of my head. William Lee Golden, Richard Sturban, Joe Bonzel, and then Dwayne Allen. That's the current foursome of which that's been the majority of the Oak Ridge Boys roster throughout their time period. There was a time that William Lee took off and you had singing Steve Sanders stepping in for him, the late Steve Sanders. But we've got info on the Oak Ridge Boys, plus Carrie Underwood has cut a new NFL Monday night, or no, Sunday night is what she does for NBC. And we'll let you know all about the beautiful and talented Underwood and the NFL job that she's got all as part of our nashville music line report and it's coming up in hour number two in our final hour today we've got not only the news and sports to cover with you but we're going to take a travel across the southeast because we're going to preview some great festivals that are taking place in dixie this coming weekend let me pull up my little uh, cheat sheet here of where all we've got festivals yes we've got plenty of music events that we're going to tell you about and we also have this weekend in Water Valley, Mississippi, the annual Watermelon Carnival. So check that out in Yalabusha County in North Mississippi this weekend. I will have a whole lot more to say about it, and we'll do all of that as we go through our exciting coverage of the Y'all Show here on this Thursday. You can email us if you want to be part of the Y'all Show. Our email address is mail at y'all.com. Would love to get your feedback anytime and share what all's going on across the southeast with you. And if you have the desire to text us, we've got a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week text line that you can reach out to us if you'd like to at 615-208-4184. We have a lot of people that listen to this show on podcast, and there ain't no telling what time of day they have a chance to listen to the show. So we don't want you to have to set your clock to text us when we're sitting here doing the show nope we've made it easy just text us on that 24 hour a day seven day a week line and we will be happy to pass your message along to all y'all well diving into the news headline today and the news broke what was it monday evening that donald trump was gonna be indicted again was it monday might have been tuesday you know the day is kind of when it deals with indictment your days kind of get all fouled up i think it might have been tuesday late tuesday that the news broke that donald trump was going to be indicted regardless today in washington dc he will be facing i think a very partisan judge and will be indicted for january 6 2020 as he's got to um, stand up and have this lady indict him over the effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election 
Special Counsel Jack Smith is charging Trump with four felony counts related to his efforts to undo the presidential election loss and the run-up to the January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol. And President Trump now in Washington, D.C. today to face those charges. And he's going to have to go there and answer to those charges. And there'll be some people out on the street, I'm sure, cheering on President Trump, others likely to jeer him. It's a big difference between cheer and jeer. But he is expected to be processed by law enforcement, taken into custody, and then expected to enter a not guilty plea in front of the judge before being released. I don't know if he'll be released. This is his third indictment in less than, what, nine months? She may have a cause to keep him from getting the heck out of D.C. We'll find out what the judge here today does. And she's a judge that has already ruled before on people who've been involved with the January 6th rioting, mayhem. And Jack Smith, of course, he's been working hard to bring down Trump the last few months, already being involved with him on the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. But today, it's all about January 6th. Then, the attention goes to Fulton County, Georgia, where Fonnie Willis, the DA there in that county, is expected any day now to announce charging decisions in that investigation of whether the president and others, but primarily the president, was illegally influencing Georgia election officials back when they were counting the vote in that state during the 2020 election. The judge today in Washington, D.C. is a native of Jamaica, U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, a Barack Obama appointee, and she is considered one of the toughest punishers of the Capitol rioters, and that's who this federal judge that Trump's got to go before today. Hmm. So, like I said, the, the, the possibility that this could be a very tough day for Trump is out there. We shall see on the latest indictment for President Trump. A member of the Biden-Harris administration has a new role. Congratulations to Baker, Louisiana's Linda Greenfield. She's the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., but she's just taken over as president of the U.N. Security Council. And she's criticizing Russia for threatening food supplies for many of the 700 million people in the world who are already starving. So she's coming out of the gate firing on all cylinders, Linda Greenfield. She said her first priority as U.N. ambassador, as the secretary, rather the Security Council, her new role there with the U.N., her first job is to address the conflict-induced famine that President Vladimir Putin of Russia is waging in his war against Ukraine. Ukraine, one of the world's largest producers of wheat and other grains. So she's coming out. I mean, there's a, literally, I won't call it World War III, but there's a World War II and a half going on right now in Ukraine. I need, I need to trademark that. 
we have not seen anything like this since World War II, what's going on in Ukraine right now. I just saw where in Kherson, their most historic church was destroyed by a Russian missile strike in the last 24 hours. I mean, this is this is ugly stuff that's been going on a year and a half in what was supposed to be a, I think, a 10-day special military operation by the Russian forces. What a disaster that Vladimir Putin has brought upon the world for absolutely no reason, other than greed. I mean, that, that is the only reason. Secretary Greenfield is 70 years old, and she grew up on the edge of Leland College in suburban Baton Rouge. And then she went to a segregated school, graduating in 1970 from Northwestern High in Zachary, Louisiana. She got her degree in 1974 from LSU and went on to graduate from graduate school at the University of Wisconsin. And then in 1982, she joined the Foreign Service. So she's come a long way from Louisiana. And again, we want to congratulate the Pelican State native, Linda Greenfield, who grew up in Baker. And she not only is the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, but her new role this week, taking over as president of the U.N. Security Council. A very important role. Other news out of the state of Louisiana, a federal jury Wednesday acquitted a white state trooper charged with violating the civil rights of a black motorist. There's body camera footage that shows the officer pummeling the man 18 times with a flashlight. This is the case of Jacob Brown, and it's the first to emerge from a series of FBI investigations into troopers' beatings of black men during traffic stops in Louisiana. After a three-day trial in Monroe, Jurors found Jacob Brown not guilty of depriving Aaron Bowman of his civil rights during a 2019 beating that left Aaron Bowman with a broken jaw, broken ribs, and a gash to his head. The 33-year-old trooper who defended the blows to investigators as pain compliance could have faced up to a decade in federal prison if convicted. The attorney for Mr. Brown told reporters that he was grateful for the verdict. So here's the case of a Louisiana state trooper in a federal court, mind you, being acquitted of beating up a black man. And I don't know why he was originally pulled over, but I've seen that body cam footage. And I guess there's going to be a slew of cases like this after this federal investigation of the way law enforcement has handled black motors in the Pelican state of Louisiana. If you want to go over to Kentucky, to the mountains of eastern Kentucky these days, you might be in for a real surprise. (laughs) People from across the mountains of Kentucky and even from other states are out on social media this week talking about what they've seen and heard, and it's been a little bit wild out there in the early morning hours because what they're seeing likely out there making a disturbance is not a monster, it's a meteor. There have been no reports of damage in eastern Kentucky, but it appears that there's been a sonic boom of sorts, and people have seen some wild things up there in the sky near the Kentucky-Virginia state line. And so if you see bright lights and more in the early morning hours, and some of it even is being reported to reflect off of people's windshields when they're driving down the road, you're likely seeing a meteor falling through the sky. Hmm. 
I'll have to go to Eastern Kentucky and check this out. Many people reported seeing the meteor throughout both the eastern and southeastern portion of the state of Kentucky. And that's because that state, that corner is typically the darkest and the easiest to see stars and heavenly bodies near the Cumberland Gap is where we're talking about in Kentucky. So, hmm, I guess there's not a lot of lights. There's a reason for that. It's very mountainous. And it's also very rural in that portion of Kentucky. And therefore, it's good good meteor viewing ground if you want to get out and explore the commonwealth of kentucky in a way you've maybe never explored it just up the road from that portion of kentucky you got blacksburg virginia and virginia tech where it's located there in blacksburg vpi no longer going to consider legacy status in its admissions process and they're also not going to accept early decision applicants the university announcing this here in the last few days. The changes, which will take effect in the 2023-24 academic year, that comes out just after the Supreme Court recently struck down affirmative action in June, which prohibits schools from looking at an applicant's race when considering their admission. And now this is, I guess, a school's effort to toss out a large percentage of maybe those who got accepted, the legacy admissions, making it perhaps easier for minorities to get in since such a large chunk of uh, a large chunk of the so-called legacy admissions are likely white students according to an official with the school legacy students make up a significant portion of Virginia Tech's student population although only about 12% of applicants are legacies they make up over 20% of the incoming class at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg Virginia I look, look, look for this type of reaction from colleges across the South and across the country now that the Supreme Court did come down with that decision in June, and they're going to try to battle back somehow to, to diversify their student body any way they possibly can, I'm sure. A breastfeeding story here on this Thursday, y'all. show. if you're a citizen of Tennessee, you probably know about TenCare. It's a health-related system that helps those in need in the volunteer state. Well, TenCare has just announced enhanced breastfeeding supports for members. And the support will come in the form of lactation consultants and supplies. Somehow when I got going today, I never thought the word lactation would come out of my mouth. Luckily, I know what that means. It's, it's breastfeeding, if you're not familiar with that. The new Lactation supports are part of Governor Bill Lee's Strong Families Initiative, which was made possible by an additional $300 million in shared savings through the 10Care 3 waiver. So, the new features in the Lactation Benefit Program includes these consultants, as 10Care members will have access to a network of qualified lactation consultants who can provide guidance, support, and educate mothers during their breastfeeding journey so that's one part also they will help out with breast pump coverage as these pumps are essential tools that help mothers express and store breast milk so that is a part and then they'll also help 10 care with supplies as 10 care recognizes the importance of these supplies for successful breastfeeding and i think it's it's all a noble thing in the state of tennessee 
about 3,000 new mothers in the volunteer state each year depend on TenCare for help. And I guess within that 3,000, a large number might be breastfeeding. And so this will come in handy if you're in the volunteer state. There's likely similar programs no matter what southern state you are in. I'm just curious. I guess there's no hard number out there anywhere that will show the percentage of Tennessee moms who breastfeed. I wonder what the let me let me pull that up anyway. We this is important information we need to know. Let's see here, Mr. Computer. Percentage of breast feeding. Let's see what the computer says. The immediate search says that some eighty three percent of babies in the United States start out on breast milk, but by six months only fifty six percent are breastfed. That's a lot. I really thought formula babies would be the majority, but no. According to this very preliminary search I just did, 56% of little babies are breastfed after six months. And then they grow up, and some of them don't even like milk after their time as little, 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 cute little babies. What happens to those babies? All right, this is the Y'all Show. We've got more headlines that we will be getting to as we go throughout the day, but we'll take a break. When we come back, oh, my goodness, college football is in a topsy-turvy status right now because it looks like there's going to be a continuation of schools jumping out of one conference and jumping in bed with another one. What is going on in college sports? We'll tell you all about it. When the Y'all Show continues on this Thursday, we want to hear from you again. If you want to drop us an email anytime, it's mail at y'all.com. And we will be right back with more of the Y'all Show. here on the y'all show time for a little southern sports news and fsu making a lot of headlines today i'm gonna tell you about it in a second but i can't tell you about florida state and a possible jump out of the acc until i tell you about the big 10 and that conference and what's going on in yankee land with the big 10 because after Deion sanders is Colorado Buffs jumped over to the Big 12 the other day, leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12. Man, this whole college football realignment is 
kicking into high gear all of a sudden. And we're in the month of August. We're just days away from the start of a new football season. I remember the last time we had this conference mayhem was two years ago. And that happened just before SEC media days, or right in the middle of it, frankly, when that was going on in Hoover, I think it was, two years ago. And that's when Texas and Oklahoma decided to leave the Big 12 for the SEC. Well, here we are two years later, and we got mayhem. Where's the Allstate guy or whatever insurance company that guy's with? The Big Ten is now coming out saying they're exploring the possibility of expansion. And look for the Big Ten to seriously court the Oregon Ducks and the Washington Huskies. And if that happens, after Colorado has already left, you're going to have the Pac-12 down to nine members. I think I think that count is correct. But yes, they are seriously looking the Big Ten at adding Washington and Oregon. And that would leave teams like Cal and Stanford just kind of hanging out there. Stanford, one of the best... I would say best athletic schools in the entire NCAA with what they've done, especially in their non-marquee sports. But, but you know, I hate to admit it, it's got a good academic reputation too. And it was actually the other day, I, I did a story last week about the most beautiful college campuses across the country. And I forgot to tell you which the number one, Berry College in Rome, Georgia was number two in the entire country for most beautiful campus Congratulations to Barry, but the number one school was Stanford. And I, I think I forgot to tell everybody that. So, oops. Sorry, Cardinal with an S on the end, which is what it should be. But yeah, you're going to leave out some great schools if indeed two of your big ones jump over to the Big Ten, if, if that invitation is out there from the Big Ten. This is going to really happen fast. We might have a Pac-12 and a Mountain West merger before it's all said and done, which still would not put them on the same level as the SEC or the Big Ten. So that's what's going on with the Big Ten right now. A lot of, lot of thoughts about that. Now we got to deal with what's going on right here in Dixie. And Florida State saying they would consider leaving the ACC now because of the shortage of the revenue distribution ACC members are getting about 40 million dollars less a year than their SEC foes and the FSU president Richard McCullough told his board of trustees on Wednesday that the university would have to very seriously consider leaving the ACC because of this shortage of money I was wrong on the digits. It's about $30 million that the ACC schools are trailing their other conference peers by. And that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money, and that's why Florida State is sitting back thinking, hmm, we might need to move on out of here. If they did leave the ACC, FSU would have to pay a $120 million exit fee, and they'd have to go to court to challenge the existing grant of rights, which gives the ACC media rights for its member schools through the length of that contract. And I think they've got a contract that goes for a long time. But look, 
it shouldn't be that big of a discrepancy on how much some of these teams, especially if they've got a contract with ESPN and the ACC does, so does the SEC. I, I can't imagine that it should have been that big of a difference. The board chair of Florida State, Peter Collins, told the website warchant.com the grant of rights will not be the document that keeps us from taking action. So they're in closed door sessions in Tallahassee trying to figure this out right now. But look for FSU to seriously be calling the SEC. In fact, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Greg Sankey, was just asked about the conference's interest in Florida State. And here's what he told ESPN's Heather Dinich on Wednesday. He said, Greg Sankey, I have been clear that we are focused on our growth to 16 as we transition to Oklahoma and Texas into the conference. Further expansion has not been a central topic in the SEC other than regularly updating our campus leadership on national developments. We are proud of the stability the SEC provides our membership and incredibly excited about our future. That's a non-answer. And as I said at the start of this hour, FSU was courted back in the early 90s to join the SEC, and they turned it down. So I think that should be a factor that Sankey needs to consider. What Sankey really should be doing is he needs to go ahead and be proactive. And I think the SEC is absolutely going to have to expand to 18 and most likely 20 schools. So what for? Let's just say it's going to be four more schools that they add. What would be the best four school option for the Southeastern Conference? Y'all tell me. Mail at y'all.com. I've got my four. I've got my four. And it would include Florida State. You need to get them. It would include Clemson. Clemson, I would actually go, if I were Sankey, I'd be knocking on the door at Clemson today and going ahead and making a proactive thing to get them. They're a SEC school disguising themselves as an ACC school. They've got everything an SEC school should have, a quality football team, a decent basketball program. They, they get into college baseball big time. They do well in other sports. They've got the size, the location, an absolute arch rival already that's an SEC member. Clemson needs to be in the SEC. It almost happened the other year, but that would be the first call. And if you get Clemson, man, then you can easily get Florida State. They're they're knocking on your door anyway. So there you have Clemson and Florida State. That gives you 18. And then if you want to go to 20, which you probably should, you can go ahead and just give a knockout blow to the ACC if you wanted to. I don't see those North Carolina schools coming to the SEC. I don't. So therefore, I would add Georgia Tech. I know they're not quite the level of what other SEC schools are, but you know what? They actually were in the SEC when the conference got going. So bring in Georgia Tech. They're a natural fit that would close up the state of Georgia. And then you've got a spot for one more, and the really most natural fit would be bringing in Oklahoma State. 
and therefore Oklahoma and OSU would be back together in the same conference. That that's the easiest solution, and that would give you twenty members, and there would be no doubt that you would be the most absolutely awesome conference ever if you go to twenty members and have that kind of setup. That that's what I that's what I would do, and I guess the only head scratchers there would be for some people Oklahoma State and Georgia Tech but I have my reasons remember Georgia Tech has won a national championship in the last 40 years you can't say that about South Carolina you can't say that about either of the Mississippi schools Vanderbilt's never won a national championship Kentucky in recent years and maybe never has won a national championship Mizzou Georgia Tech's done some things that SEC schools have not done. And so, yeah, they're kind of like a... And they'd be good for Vanderbilt to have Georgia Tech in the conference. It'd be good for the smaller schools. In fact, Georgia Tech's on Mississippi's schedule this year. They're playing in Oxford for the very first time in week number two of the college football season. So that's my analysis. If, if you're going to expand, now's the time to do it. Now's the time to go ahead and knock out three of those ACC schools and get that Big 12 member Oklahoma State over to the SEC and then you're done. And if they want to have power conferences of 20, you, you, the Big 10 can go on up to another couple of members and then you've got, I would say, really just two power conferences. But that that's part of the fun of this whole conference realignment stuff is, is the scenarios and the what-ifs. And that's what John would do if he were in charge of college football. Are you listening out there? One other college football-related story to tell you about. LSU is going to be without their defensive line coach, Jimmy Lindsey, when they open up preseason camp today. Brian Kelly announcing that Lindsey is stepping away from the team to deal with personal health matters. Assistant coach John Jancic is going to shift to the defensive line coach. As Kelly in a statement said that his prayers are with Coach Lindsey and his family and they asked for their privacy at this time, and he looks forward to the return of Coach Lindsey to the program. Of course, last year, LSU won 10 games, and they won the SEC West during Brian Kelly's first season at Death Valley. The Bayou Bengals open up the new season in Orlando on September 3rd against that team I was just talking about, the Florida State Seminoles. And who knows, by the time... September 3rd comes around. It could be a LSU versus future SEC member in Florida State that we see teeing up against each other. And to FSU's credit, Mike Norvell's ball club last year went into New Orleans to start the season, and they knocked off those Bayou Bengals in their opening game of 2022. And that is a look at Southern Sports News to get this hour going. When we come back, we're going to close up this hour with a look at child labor and the state of Arkansas as that has come into us on social media and we'll explore that when the Y'all Show Thursday edition comes right back. things I watch those disappearing wedding rings 
Telephone call pigeon so and so There he is shaking his head no Cause he's got this girl hanging all over him He can't quit now he's gone out on a limb Then the place turns quiet as a mummy's tomb Cause guess who happens to walk in the room Could have heard a heartbreak You could have heard a teardrop I feel so bad for her sake Now what's she gonna do Chances that a fool takes Never knowing when to stop Could have heard a heartbreak Breaking right into The great Johnny Lee And the last number one song That he had You could have heard a heartbreak That was number one back in 1984 And Johnny right now is on a farewell tour I'm going to have to try to catch him I saw him one time Back in mm, 97, 98, something like that there was a Gillies in Nashville for a very short time, and I saw Johnny Lee at Gillies in Nashville. That was pretty cool, huh? All right, we're going to wrap up this hour of the Y'all Show with a little hashtag Huddleblue. This is where things on social media magically come our way, and we can't verify if these things are true or we support them. We just relay them is what we do. And we've got an Instagram post that caught our attention here in hashtag Huddleblue to wrap up this hour of the Y'all Show, and it comes to us from the Instagram account Grant for Arkansas. And this is the account of Grant Smith, a former Democratic candidate for Arkansas House District 77. And he has been quite active on Instagram and his post caught our eye because hmm, if this is if this stuff's true, then it, it's quite interesting what's going on in the natural state. I'm not sure if it's legal or not, but Grant has posted up Evidently, a few proposed things for the state of Arkansas. Laws that are taking effect in states across the country. Acts being considered in Arkansas, according to this guy, Grant for Arkansas. So, within this, there is an effort to allow school employees to use reasonable and appropriate physical force against minors and incompetent people that's again proposed i'm just telling you what he's got posted on his instagram account there is an effort according to him to remove child labor protections by eliminating permits that have required employers to verify a child's age and their parents consent another proposed also banning transgender students at public schools from using the restroom that matches their gender identity. Also, he brings up the fact that the name, or rather the Given Name Act, bans schools from requiring teachers to use transgender or gender non-conforming students' preferred pronouns without written permission from their parent. And lastly, what he brings out on Instagram is Act 310, which allows for the creation of a monument near the Arkansas State Capitol, marking the number of abortions performed in Arkansas before the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. Again, this is being posted by the Instagram account Grant the Number Four Arkansas. Grant Four 
Arkansas. And he's got reaction on social media from Dawn is Tired. And Dawn is Tired with the account Whimsy Nahil, N-I-H-I-L. She writes, Now, 13-year-olds can work in Arkansas and their parents can draw a $7,000 check per year if they, quote, homeschool their kids. Now the school can paddle your kids. Good job. Those are her thoughts. Again, we're just relaying what we have discovered on social media as part of this hashtag HuddleBaloo report. You can go get into a debate if you want to with these people if you disagree. And I don't know where those acts stand in the natural state or, or what's going on. I'm just I'm just the middleman here, y'all. That wraps up our first hour of the show that shakes the Southland. When we come back in hour two, we've got more sports news and country music news, too. This is y'all. Com is how you can drop us some correspondence on the old computer or on your phone anytime. Just send us an email and let us know what you're thinking about. Mail at y'all.com. Y-A-L-L.com. John Rawl is my name. I am the general of all things Southern, and I'm the guy that gets those emails forwarded to him. So, yeah, you will be right in touch with me if you let that uh, email come my way. We'd love to love to hear what you're thinking what you're feeling here on the all show we appreciate those who set stuff in hey we've got an hour of greatness here on the show all about the south and here in this hour we've got headlines pouring in from across the southeast that we will get to included in that stories from the southeast is a woman in memphis is now being charged with assault after police say she beat her friend up and then let her she refused to let her leave her house she locked her in the bathroom no no, i'm sorry not the bathroom that would be really bad but where she locked her up was still pretty bad she locked her up in the bedroom because this woman her friend this was her friend she did all this she beat her up and then locked her in her bedroom because she snitched i'll tell you about this memphis story in our headlines here in a few minutes also in stories across the south today don't wear bright red Crocs if you're going to go rob a bakery because that's how detectives found a Florida man. Rather easy to catch you when you've got bright red Crocs on. And that story out of Florida this week. Plus, out of Arkansas on Wednesday, a crash on Interstate 30 covered up that interstate. The truck was carrying. They got involved in this little fender bender. A whole truckload of nacho cheese, and it spilled out all over the interstate. Mm-mm. Where are my tortillas when I need them? Plus, this is National Oyster Week. I'll tell you how they're celebrating in Maryland and the goat story from Texas that will make us put a smile on our face. All those stories 
headed your way in a few minutes as we go through the headlines to start off our number two. We also have coming up a little bit later news from Nashville. Congratulations to the Oak Ridge Boys as they are now celebrating 50 years together in the current makeup of the Oaks. And I'm going to play one of their most famous songs to show off our Oak Ridge Boys salute here on this Thursday edition. Plus, Carrie Underwood will continue on as your Sunday night football spokeswoman. And we are going to tell you about Carrie Underwood and the NFL as part of our country music news and notes coming up in our Nashville Music Line Report just a few minutes away from that here. And then before the hour is going to wrap up, we're going to tell you a little bit more about conference realignment, expansion, etc. We'll continue on with what we were talking about in hour one in our Southern Sports Report. All that right here on the Y'all Show. All right, let's pick up the headlines. So today in Washington, D.C., President Donald J. Trump, or should I say the former president, is going to be back in the city that he helped lead a country for four years, and he's going to be in the courtroom of U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin. She is a Barack Obama appointee a native of Jamaica, and she has come down hard over the last few years on any of the people that were participants in the January 6th Capitol riot. She's considered one of the toughest punishers of the January 6th event. And now, that's who President Donald Trump has to go stop by and hang out with as he's being indicted today in federal court on charges that he sought to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. And this is now his third indictment that he's got on his desk. I wonder if he has a desk at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> you know, forever he had that desk in New York City at Trump Tower, and that's where almost all of his happenings happened. And he would do interviews there, and he'd have all these special guests come by, and he had... He's, he, he had he still got it his wall has all these awards and pictures of himself and one thing about Donald Trump you can truthfully say the guy's not bashful he doesn't mind promoting himself he doesn't mind making up stuff about himself to help promote himself remember at one of his golf clubs they found fake magazine covers that he was on when he was running for president <laughs> Maybe he's just got a sick sense of humor. But he won't be laughing too much today as he's in D.C. facing these charges from the feds that he tried to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Maybe they've got something on it. The special prosecutor, Jack Smith, he's the special counsel, it's his official title, trying to get him on four felony counts related to those efforts to overturn the loss and a conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government, and a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. I saw an amazing video the other day of Mike Pence, and it was when Pence was in Georgia two days before January 6th. It would have been January 4th of 2021. And you got to go listen to that speech because the Pence that people have made him out to be, especially the media since January 6th of him being the hero, the savior of the Constitution. 
if you went and heard his speech on January 4th of 2021 in Georgia, you would be stunned. You would be stunned. He was echoing exactly what Trump had been saying and what he tried to do on on January 6th. He tried to put a, a pause on the counting of votes. Now, his defense was that there were still some things that needed to be figured out in these states, the states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, even Nevada. And Trump was trying to avoid the rush to go ahead and officially kick him out of office. He was doing everything in his power to stop that. Was it illegal? I guess that's why they have courts. And that's why we have indictments. We will find out. But I'm looking forward. I, I'm on the side that Trump on on January 6th was not in violation of this stuff. And if, if he's not in violation, then it makes all these people who've been sitting in jail for a couple of years now because they went into the Capitol, it makes their cases pretty unusual. I think, and, and I'm going to get out here with some opinion real quick not that you wanted it I really think Joe Biden has done a disservice to the country and that disservice is to help the country move on the favorite battle cry of liberals move on, just move on, forget everything and throw away the past and move on I've heard that, I'm not a liberal I've heard that yelled to me many times because of my conservatism you just need to let it go and move on. No, I'm not. But you know what's funny is, as people who've watched this thing for now three years get reported and the big lie and all this other junk that you know well too much about, I thought that after a certain amount of time, a year, let's say, Joe Biden really should have pardoned or commuted the sentences of all these people in January 6th. Now, if they were absolutely guilty of hurting police officers, that's a that's an exception. But if they just happened to be in the dang building and they'd already served six months or a year in jail, as Joe Biden would say, come on, man. And so really, I think Joe Biden should have already pardoned these people to help the country heal. It, it would make him look presidential, in my opinion. He, he should have done that already. But he's not, because he's going to listen to the liberals and not even consider such a thing. But that would be a pretty bold move for him to do that. And that would make those on the conservative side realize that Biden in still has a little bit of compromise left in him. Look, these people have already been in jail for a while. They are serving prison sentences and often, in cases often longer than violent criminals are serving. All because they got caught up in this craziness of January 6th. Come on, man. Pardon them. Now, Joe, stop going on vacation and do something for the good of country. Again, I'm not talking about those who admitted or there's documented evidence that they beat up people. Maybe they need to stay in jail for a little bit longer. 
But those who just got caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time, or maybe they were in the in their mind the right place, but it was looking back the wrong time. If they've been in jail already for a while, let them go. Yeah, just move on. That's that's how I feel. Okay, you don't want to know how I feel. So let's move on. To uh, let's move on. Let's just move on with more news stories here for this hour of the y'all show and we pick up the stories now from memphis let's tell you all about katrina blades she's a 40 year old memphian who is now being charged with assault after memphis police say she beat her friend up and then refused to let her leave the bedroom locked her in the bedroom of her house Memphis police saying that Katrina Blades and this other woman held a victim captive in a bedroom, refusing to let her leave. The two women accused of the accused this victim of snitching to the police about a previous incident. And Blades beat up the victim, hitting her with closed fist and kicking her. And then when the victim tried to leave, her hand was closed in the door and she was forced to stay in the bedroom. Police identifying Blades as one of two women who beat the victim and could find her to the bedroom. Blades now in Memphis police custody facing charges for assault and false imprisonment for snitching. Don't want to snitch. I wonder what the lady snitched about. And I wonder why we only have the name of Blades because she had an accomplice that they're not naming. Maybe the other person was under the age of 18. Not totally sure, but... Katrina Blades now having some time not in her bedroom but in a Memphis jail. 201 Poplar I believe is where she's hanging out right now after she's being charged with beating up and, and locking up a friend in a, in a bedroom for snitch and you don't snitch y'all. What is, that, what is that term? Snitches equals stitches? I think that's right. I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't been out on the street lately. It's getting hot out there. Hint, hint. And you know what? We're not the only ones feeling the heat. The little creatures of the world are feeling it too. And research that's just come in suggesting that you may need to pay a little bit more attention when you're outdoors as the sneaky snakes of the South are more likely to bite you as it gets hot. And August is the hottest month in the year. According to Atlanta's Emory University, a study out of there says... For every degree Celsius that daily temperatures increase, that increases the likelihood that you're going to get bit by a snake. The Emory University study analyzed emergency department visits reported by the Georgia Hospital Association over a six-year span, and Emory found that there were more than 5,000 hospitalizations due to snake bites. And of those 5,000 hospitalizations, 3,900 of them were from venomous snake bites. And then when they compared the data, the bites of the hot months compared to the minimum versus maximum temperatures, Emory found that the risk of being bitten by a snake increases by 6% for every degree Celsius that daily temps increase. I don't even want to look at today's forecast. I don't want to look at today's expected high because there's a chance I'm going to be going near a couple of trees today and I don't want to get bit by a daggum snake. Noah 
Skorvinik is a doctor at Emory and their Rollins School of Public Health. And he's the lead author of this snake research. And he said that an increase in odds by snake bite by 6% per, 6% per degree Celsius is a strong effect and is certainly higher than what we often see from other types of health outcomes that are linked to heat. And you can go to WSMV.com and get linked up to the story as they have the entire Emory University study available for your perusal. Just what you want. Some must-read snake information coming from Emory University in Atlanta. The hotter it is, the more likely chance that you could be bitten by a snake. Mm. I have never really had that close of an encounter with a snake. I almost stepped on a venomous snake once, but luckily I didn't. But I've never, I've really never had a rattlesnake start rattling at me. Thank God. Because not only would I be scared then, I would, it would torment me for the rest of my life, especially when I'd be trying to go to sleep at night. Oh, I can't imagine what that's like. And I know a large number of you out there know that feeling. You've seen it. You've felt it. Heck, you might have been bitten by a daggum snake. Then the ones that really scare me are the copperheads because those are so daggum fast and they are more prone to bite you. Mm. And then there's something about getting in the water and worry about copper uh, cotton mouse. All right, I'm going to have to stop talking about this stuff. I'm not going to be able to get through the rest of this show. The bottom line is, y'all, the more heat, the more likely chance you could be bitten by a snake. Let's hope that doesn't happen. There's also a chance that you might be exposed to some real idiots of the two-legged kind, the one that actually walk, not like a snake who you might remember from the Bible have been led to never stand upright thanks to good old Adam and Eve. <laughs> but here's a story out of Florida involving Jacob Ortega. The 18-year-old has now been arrested and accused of robbing a bakery that he used to work, and he's been caught. Thank goodness Ortega has been arrested as he's been accused of spending the money he stole from his former bakery. He spent that money on food and booze. Hmm, how unusual. He worked at the Crumble Cookies in Brooksville, Florida. And he's accused of removing cash from the bakery safe. And the Hernando County, Florida Sheriff's Office investigating. And the way they caught Ortega was brilliant, okay? It is truly brilliant. I think he's been putting something a little spicy in his crumble cookies. (laughs) But the video of when he stole this money, removing the cash from the bakery safe, it's out there. And when police started looking at this video of this guy he was wearing a black mask a black sweatshirt black pants a brown and black backpack hat was in his possession but here's where the real detective work came in to catch this guy those things I just listed off pretty standard stuff for your burglars of the world wearing all that black stuff but here's Ortega's fatal flaw 
the 18-year-old decided when he was suiting up to go rob his former employer, Crumble Cookies, he decided to wear his bright red Crocs. And that distinctive red Croc is what's landed this Florida man behind bars after he tried to rob the bakery that he was once employed by. And as I said, when he got the money, he spent it on food and booze. <laughs> yeah, pretty easy to, to do some detective work when all you're looking for are the... I mean, I'm looking at a photo of him. I guess it's his arrest photo, and they show his Crocs. Bright red Crocs that the surveillance footage zoomed in on. And yeah, not too hard to hide from that when you're busted in Florida. They weren't busted in Arkansas. They were just broken. And that's what happened Wednesday when a truck had a little bit of a hiccup on Interstate 30. And that truck just happened to be carrying cans of cheese. And it was nacho cheese. So Prescott, Arkansas is where this happened on Interstate 30. And this crash earlier this week has made the Arkansas Department of Transportation's social media account go viral because of the photos of this cheesy situation on Interstate 30. I mean, it looks delicious. I mean, there are hundreds of cans and and, and broken bottles, whatever the nacho cheese comes in, scattered all across Interstate 30 in Prescott, Arkansas, thanks to this truck crashing and opening. Nobody was hurt. That's the good story. And this wreck happened after a wrecker truck hauling an 18-wheeler and the truck carrying the cans of cheese merged into the same lane. So hopefully they weren't really going that fast. And that's what caused this wreck. No injuries reported. And the nacho cheese cleaned up within hours. But a big mess, but a delicious mess if you will, coming from the natural state on Interstate 30 this week. Happy National Oyster Week. And they're celebrating in Maryland right now. It's being celebrated until Sunday, August 6th. And an emphasis during National Oyster Week is on oysters' impact on Maryland's cultural heritage and its economic impact. So congratulations, all you oyster oystermen and those involved in the oyster industry of the Chesapeake Bay of Maryland and, and also Virginia that have oystermen there. Several restaurants throughout the Chesapeake Bay area are participating in the Oceanic Holiday. They've got deals and special menus. And at the end of this week, they'll be recycling all of the empty oyster shells. Go to the website if you get a chance for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation as they explain that oyster shells are cleaned and cured then placed in water tanks with oyster larvae. Those larvae attach to the shells and when ready, the baby oysters, which are called spat, I said it, S-P-A-T, spat, are then planted in rivers in the Chesapeake Bay and they help recycle oysters. That Chesapeake Bay Foundation's website is cbf.org saving a national treasure is their motto the chesapeake bay foundation 
as they're trying to save oyster shells. CBF.org, the website. And you, too, can get out here this week and celebrate National Oyster Week with your own oysters. I will tell you, though, please try to avoid eating raw oysters. Even during National Oyster Week, please, and take it from personal experience here, at least cook them up to some degree, somehow, some way, to avoid getting the bacteria that come with some of this aquatic and maritime illnesses, the the food illnesses that come from that, because it can literally kill you or it can seriously injure you, I know, from family experience. So, happy National Oyster Week. Just eat accordingly and 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 cook it up a little bit because a lot of you out there love you some oysters now finally in our headlines from across the southeast we got an update on willie the rodeo group uh, willie the rodeo goat he's been on the lamb this rodeo goat back on july 15th willie escaped from an arena enclosure that he was part of as part of the rodeo and he's been again hiding in the sugarcane and cornfields of Willacy County in Texas. That's about 300 miles southwest of Houston. And residents of that portion of Texas have been looking for Willie, who's a female, by the way, looking for little Willie on horses and ATVs and more. Even local businesses in that portion of the Lone Star State kicked in gifts worth $5,000 and prizes, about 90 different prizes were offered to help find Willie the Rodeo Goat. Heck, they even had prizes that included brisket and also hay and beef jerky. I don't think anybody was offering lamb, thank goodness, since we're trying to find Willie the Rodeo Goat. But the good news is Ricardo Rojas did not have to go very far to find Willie the Rodeo Goat. He and a friend caught the goat Monday in his backyard. And he caught the goat only a mile from where Willie the Rodeo Goat escaped back on July 15th. So what's that been? Three weeks? The goat has been missing and now shows up right there a mile away from where Willie went away. Allison Savage is the president of the Willisie County Livestock Show in Farron. She said that they believed Willie was getting enough to eat and drink while she was on the lamb, but worried that predators, including coyotes, might get her. But hey, it didn't happen. This is a feel-good story. When the goat escaped, according to sources, Willie had not been named. So during the search, the livestock show there in that area had been posting updates on Facebook and an online poll christened this goat on the lamb Willie and Willie is a girl (laughs) so we have a a rescued goat in Texas and I hope that goat seriously has a good life especially now that it has uh, gotten a new lease on life having been found just down the road from where it went missing the rodeo goat Willie congratulations that's a great Texas story to wrap up our news headlines of the day. When we come back on y'all, we've got Oak Ridge Boys news. Yes, 50 years the Oaks have been hanging out in their current format. 
and we will let you know about that and some Carrie Underwood news and happenings. It's the country music news and notes that we call the Nashville Music Line Report, and it is coming up after we take this quick timeout on Y'all Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern. and do that bu-bu-bu-bu thing. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to interrupt. It's just musical genius, y'all. <laughs> We're back on the Y'all Show, and congratulations to the Oak Ridge Boys. This is our Nashville Music Line Report, where we give you all the latest out of Music City USA and beyond. And the Oak Ridge Boys there with Richard Sturban and Dwayne Allen and William Lee Golden and Joe Bonzel. Those foursome that great foursome now celebrating 50 years with that lineup Dwayne Allen with the quote to be anywhere with anyone for 50 years is an accomplishment and we are celebrating come out to one of our shows and sing along with us well I've done that have y'all done that have you ever gone to an Oak Ridge Boys concert and sang along to songs like Bobby Sue that one we were just playing which was a number one song in 1982 it was their sixth number one song and oh if you're wondering the other five songs before that one that went to the top of the charts i'll be true to you from 1978 they also had a number one with leaving louisiana in the broad daylight trying to love two women they had number one with elvira then fancy free and then that song there in 1982 bubba bubba bobby sue from the oak ridge boys which again together for 50 years and I'm looking up 
their ages. I think William Lee Golden is the oldest member, and he was born, it looks like, in 1939. So he would be 80. He's 84 because he was born in January of 1939. He was born in 39. Dwayne Allen born in 43. Bonzel born in 40, looks like 46. And then Richard Sturban, the deep voice Richard Sturban, he was born in 43. So, yeah, Golden's several years older than the other members, and he's 84 years young. Got that long, he's the one with the long beard and the cowboy hat, the one that left him for a while. But, yeah, how about that? Joe Bonzel, the Yankee in the group out of Philadelphia, said, I was 25 years old in 1973 when I joined the Oak Ridge Boys. I am 75 years old in 2023, and I am still an Oak Ridge boy. It has been and still is an amazing ride. Congratulations to the Oak Ridge Boys. 50 years of these four guys being together, and they're still up and going. Let me let me give you an idea of just how up and going they are. Today, which is a Thursday, the Oaks are playing in Tysons, Virginia at Capital One Hall. Friday, they'll be in Marietta, Ohio. They'll be in New York at Hammondsport, New York on Saturday. Then they've got a couple of days off before they hit the road again in Pennsylvania on the 18th. A couple of dates in the Keystone State. They'll be at the Kentucky State Fair on August 20th. They'll be in Pigeon Forge at the Country Tonight Theater August 25th. Steelville, Missouri, they'll be there August 27th at the Merrimack Music Theater. And before the month comes to an end, they'll be at Grand Island, Nebraska, at the Nebraska State Fair. Again, they are all over the place, and I love it. With members, again, in their late 70s, and in William Lee Golden's case, 84 years young. Out there, just killing it with great music. Now, the Oak Ridge Boys, this week, I got a press release about them. Not only about them having 50 years together, but how about this? What a combination. The Oaks are going to team up with the group Alabama, and they're going to honor the Gaithers with a song. Recording together for the first time in history, the Oak Ridge Boys and Randy Owen and Teddy Gentry, the surviving members of Alabama, they've recorded together in studio the song Jesus and John Wayne, a collaborative effort from two of the biggest bands in country music history, and it's going to pay tribute to gospel music's most legendary husband-wife songwriter duo of Bill and Gloria Gaither. That song has just been released to radio, and you might hear it, Jesus and John Wayne. From the Oak Ridge Boys teaming up with Alabama. I, I, I love it. Randy Owen of Alabama said it was a fun song to record. Our version with the Oaks singing harmony with us gives this song a strong message. And I'm trying to think. The Oak Ridge Boys sang back up before on a couple of country music records. The most vivid example of that to me is they're the background singers on George Jones's big song from the 1980s, Same Old Me. I'm still the same old me, loving the same sweet you. And you'll hear the Oaks doing their thing there in the background. It's it's just freaking great. And that is their background of singing backup 
but they're really front men. I mean, we love Oak Ridge Boys music, don't we? Yeah, we do. And we love Alabama music. And I love the fact that after Jeff Cook died last year, Randy and Teddy are not sitting around sobbing. They just put on back in June fanfare in their native Fort Payne, Alabama for the first time since the early 90s, I think it was. And it was a big success. So they're, they've got that going. They're now in the studio recording with the Oak Ridge Boys and a tribute to the Gaithers. I'm, I'm tickled. I'm tickled. I'd love to hear all of this music get on the radio soon. Let me, let me see if I can't let me see if I can't multitask here and see if I can't pull up and let's sample a little bit of this song while I'm sitting here talking about the Oak Ridge Boys in Alabama recording together. You know, John, it would be a smart thing if you could pull up the new song that they recorded together, Jesus and John Wayne. Let's see if it's available for yours truly to pull up. Jesus and John Wayne. Again, this is a tribute to the Gaithers. Was that a song that the Gaithers did? Evidently so. It may not be quite available. It's just now going for ads. So, yeah, I'm not seeing a copy of it here, so I apologize. But I bet you it's good. Check it out if you get a chance. Oak Ridge Boys, Alabama. And maybe they'll go on tour together. That that would be a ticket worth purchasing for sure if you're able to pull that one off, y'all. All right, let's move on to more current hit makers. Carrie Underwood. She's going to once again star in the Open for Sunday Night Football. As this year marks the 11th consecutive season, the Oki has anchored Sunday Night Football. And this time she's incorporating her Las Vegas residency into her opening act for Sunday Night Football. Now, could I pull that up? That, that would be a fun thing to play. Carrie Underwood, SNF. I'm having to do a lot of... Uh, production on the fly here but you know what I don't mind it because it's fun and gosh anytime I get a chance to listen and of course look at Carrie Underwood not to get all weird on you I don't have any problem doing that here's the theme for last year Sunday Night Football Carrie Underwood again this would be coming up her 11th season of doing this Hank Williams Jr. of course made the whole singing Monday Night Football famous and then Monday Night Football got all woke on us and so we don't have that great Hank Jr. participating in Sunday Night and Monday Night Football but we have Carrie Underwood so let's take you back to last year's theme because the 2023 theme not quite out but uh, this one's fun this one's good and it's from Country Music's own Carrie Underwood the Sunday night football the theme. Sunday night anthem. Presented by Uber Eats. Yeah, we didn't need that. Sing it. Sing it, girl.
that first Sunday night football game in September will be here before you know it. I don't know who that's going to be, though. The NFL has not sent me an email of their scheduled contest, but it's going to be a good one. I I bet you it's probably going to be the New York Jets, knowing how NBC works, because Aaron Rodgers is now a New York Jet. But Carrie Underwood back with the SNF theme for 2023. The creative director of Sunday Night Football is Trip Dixon, and he says that we're thrilled to work with Carrie to capture a new vision for this season show open. It sets the tone for the broadcast and pays tribute to the teams, star players and fans, and in a fun, dynamic way. Sunday Night Football is Primetime TV's top program for 12 consecutive years and it looks like we've got that contest thank you NBC they heard my complaint and now they've forwarded on the contest the first Sunday night football game is going to be September 10th on NBC and it will be Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys not playing the Jets but they're going to be visiting the New York football Giants and Daniel Jones the former Duke quarterback is awaiting them when they come to the Meadowlands But there you have it, the contest that we know that's going to be first up on Sunday Night Football on that first Sunday of the regular season. There's actually going to be a sort of precursor, a preseason game, looks like. Well, actually, this is not the preseason. The first NFL game of the year is going to be September 7th when the Detroit Lions are at the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think NBC has that game. But when it comes to the Sunday night game, Week one Sunday night game is going to be Cowboys and Giants. And Carrie Underwood will be right there for the fun. Now, let me also tell you that Carrie Underwood was recently standing by her man. We want to congratulate Mr. Carrie Underwood as the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame has just inducted Mike Fisher, who is Carrie Underwood's husband, into the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. And Underwood was right there alongside him this past weekend when they inducted the former Nashville Predator. I think he was part of the original Nashville Predator team. In fact, back in 1996 or 97, I was at the Home Depot in Franklin with a whole cart full of stuff, and I saw Mike Fisher right beside me in line, and I didn't know who he was at the time because I don't really keep up with hockey, but he was, again, I think part of that inaugural Predator team, and I should have talked to him, and I I should have said, hey, man, don't be going after Carrie Underwood. Of course, back in 97, Carrie Underwood was probably still in high school as he's a little older than her. But yeah, a great hockey player, a Canadian, Mike Fisher. But yes, congratulations on his induction into the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. And that will wrap up our country music news and notes for this hour of the Y'all Show. Let's take a moment to... Let me see here. I'm all... Yeah, we got to take, speaking of sports, we got to take a break and come back and wrap this hour up with a quick sports update on this, the Y'all Show, and then we'll move over to Hour 3. Yeah, when I talk about Carrie Underwood, I get all, all confused. We'll be right back.
number two of this y'all show with a little Lainey and Lauren together but a little sports news to close things out again as we told you in hour one go back and listen to the podcast if you missed that conversation it's getting wild and crazy out there from a college football realignment with the conference stuff right now Florida State begging it looks like to get into the SEC Greg Sankey the commissioner of the SEC is giving a very uh, non-answer according to reports today so we'll keep an eye on that development with fsu and more out of the acc big 10 pac 12 and even sec it's it's getting wild y'all and lastly i'm excited about creamsicle day that is set for august 14th if you're a tampa bay buccaneer fan creamsicle uniforms will be back and the city of tampa has made an official holiday of august 14th (laughs) Mayor Jane Castor is attending training camp and on that day they're going to celebrate with all kinds of fun things to honor the great uniforms of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of the 1970s and 80s when Bucko Bruce was roaming the sideline. Creamsicle's back at least certainly on Creamsicle Day August 14th. That will wrap up Hour 2 of the Y'all Show. we got a lot of fun coming up in Hour 3. Make sure you t- stay tuned to the show that shakes the Southland. We are y'all. Gimme, gimme, gimme. for the final hour on this Thursday y'all show the general of all things southern that would be yours truly John Rawl and it is good to be back with you as we close out this Thursday show we've got more headlines from across the south that we'll be jumping into as well as some sports news and in that sports news today we've got information about somebody connected to the Alabama Crimson Tide and somebody connected to the Auburn Tigers Yeah, right here on the Y'all Show, we got the Iron Bowl covered in a way nobody else has on this Thursday edition. So we got all that coming up in our Southern Sports Report. Plus, we also have, before we get out of here, our Southern Travel Report for the week as we take a look at the weekend festivals that are going down across the Southeast. Some great ones from Arkansas to Florida, from Maryland to Texas, all right here on the Y'all Show. If you'd like to get involved, the easy way to do that is to text us. Our number to do that 24 hours a day is 615-208-4184, 615-208-4184. Or you can drop us an email anytime you feel like it, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. Would love to get your feedback here on the show that shakes the Southland. Well, again, thank you for tuning in. Let's kick off this final hour of coverage with some news headlines from across the southeast. And again, the fallout coming again from Tuesday's decision to indict President Trump. He is going to be officially indicted at some point today if he hasn't already. And again, the 45th president being indicted for efforts to overturn the 2020 election 
and to block the transfer of power. At least that's what Jack Smith, the Justice Department's special counsel, is putting forth. As he said Tuesday in a statement, the attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. It was fueled by lies, lies by the defendant, targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. And now, officially indicted on this Thursday, President Donald Trump. Well, in the excitement of having Megan Headwall come on our Wednesday show, I got a little carried away and forgot to include something in our final hour of Wednesday show. So today, in the final hour of this Thursday show, one of the things I stumbled upon while reading up on this indictment for Trump and reading about the reaction and watching reaction on TV shows and social media and more, the most impressive response that I saw was from Republican presidential contender Vivek Ramaswamy as he spoke on his YouTube channel about the decision to indict President Trump. And I'm going to play this entire four-minute response from the extremely savvy 37-year-old presidential candidate. Yes, he is 37 years old. If we were to, if he were to be sworn in as president, he would be 38 and by far the youngest president we've ever had. And I am impressed with this dang Yankee, the Cincinnati-born Vivek Ramaswamy. Again, the Harvard and Yale alum. He got his undergrad at Harvard before getting his law degree from Yale University. A impressive, impressive background that he's got. He was a member of Phi Beta Kappa. He's been a libertarian most of his life and was inspired by a born-again Christian to help propel his conservative political career and has been involved in business with work at Roviant Sciences. He's a founder of that pharmaceutical company, having raised hundreds of millions of dollars for that company, and he's a very wealthy guy. I don't know quite the number behind him, but it's estimated his net worth at $630 million as his wealth comes from the biotech and financial businesses. Vivek Ramaswamy, again, he's running for president. You might not have learned a lot about him if he makes it to the debate stage. In a couple of weeks, you'll learn a lot more about this guy who has gotten a lot of praise for his anti-woke activism. And on Tuesday evening, just after President Trump was indicted, Ramaswamy went on social media to post the following and this is pretty impressive, as I said, and I want to play it for you now, his response to the indictment of Donald J. Trump. It's another sad moment in our country's history. The 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, has yet again been indicted by the Biden DOJ, a political party in power that is now repeatedly using police force to indict and arrest and potentially eliminate its political opponents from competition. This is a politicized prosecution. It is a political persecution through prosecution. Now in a third indictment, just in a matter of months against the person who is still at present, the lead contender in the Republican primary for U.S. president. I want to be very clear. I am running for U.S. president in that same Republican primary. It would be easier for me 
if Donald Trump were eliminated from competition. That's not how I want to win. This is not about politics to me. This is about first principles. We do not want to become a country where the party in power is able to use banana republic-like tactics to eliminate its political opponents. Yet I'm sad to say that's exactly where we are. The allegations in this indictment fall flat. It is wrong and incorrect and inaccurate to place blame for what happened on January 6th at the feet of Donald Trump. I said this at the time. I've said it ever since then. I continue to say it today. I would not have made the same judgments that Donald Trump did in how he handled that day. But that's different from saying that he committed a crime. He did not. He specifically told the protesters that day to behave peacefully. The First Amendment in this country gives political protesters the ability to express themselves and their opinions freely. Donald Trump was not responsible for what happened on January 6th. You want to know what was responsible? I said this in the days after January 6th, 2021, just as I say it today. Systematic, pervasive censorship in this country. That was after a year where we had told people across this nation that you had to stay locked down in your house, in your basement, and shut up, sit down, do as you're told. If you question that, you're racist, you're anti-science, your social media accounts were silenced. You had to stay home and lock down unless you were part of BLM or Antifa, in which case it was perfectly fine to roam the streets of this country and burn many of them down. That was the double standard that then applied and said that if you said the virus originated in a lab in Wuhan, you were again a racist and had your internet accounts shut down. You were then told you had an election where you could express yourself to put the right person in charge of fixing these problems. And instead, your accounts were suppressed if you sent a mere message saying that the Hunter Biden laptop story from the New York Post was real. You had your accounts locked. Even the New York Post had its own account locked. And if you repeatedly then tell people they cannot speak, that is when they scream. If you repeatedly tell people they cannot scream, that is when they tear things down. And I think we are making a grave mistake in this country by trying to pin the blame for that at the feet of one man. If we refuse to learn our mistakes from, from our mistakes in the past, we are doomed to suffer an even worse fate in the future. I worry that will create a country where January 6, 2021, was a friendly parley compared to what's actually to come. I'm running for president to make sure we don't march towards some kind of national divorce. But the first and most important step that we as candidates can take in this race is to speak and speak forcefully on the side of principle to say that even if we're competing against Donald Trump, as I am, I do not want to see him eliminated from competition using these politicized tactics. It is wrong for our country. It is wrong for our future. I call on my fellow candidates to condemn it. And I call on President Biden to do the right thing and drop these politicized charges. That's going to be a first step towards uniting our country. Wow. Again, that's the best response I've seen from anybody out there. And he brings up so much truth there. That's Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Speaking after President Trump was invited, was in, indicted this week, and the 
37-year-old nailed it, man. Did, did, are y'all impressed by this guy? I am. I'm ultra impressed. He's got a bright future. I don't know if it's going to be in 2024, but what a tremendous, tremendous response. As he said, he probably wouldn't be out normally promoting a competitor, the lead competitor, but he feels like it's wrong what is happening to Donald Trump. And boy, what he brought out about how the January 6th rioters, fueled by the fact that they had been told for nearly a year to sit down, shut up, and stay inside. And they let it all hang out on January 6th. And many of them have paid with years in prison as a result of it. Now the government trying to get President Donald Trump in prison for years for, as they say, leading the charge. Vivek Ramaswamy has a differing view. We thought we would play that for a year on today's Y'all Show as we were, again, preparing this for Wednesday's show, and we forgot to play that clip, and I wanted to squeeze that in here. Speaking of the president, uh, president of today, Joe Biden, well, a key component of his Green New Deal went into effect on Tuesday, as on August 1st, the Biden administration's ban on incandescent light and light bulbs, the manufacturer of them, went into effect. Starting August 1st, Americans will only be able to purchase LED lights from retailers due to the Department of Energy requirements that manufacturers only make and sell energy-efficient light-emitting diode or LED light bulbs. LED bulbs, while more expensive, last 25 to 50 times longer and use less electricity. So if you've got the old incandescent, it could be a collector's item one of these days. Incandescent or halogen incandescent bulbs, which accounted for roughly 30% of light bulbs sold in 2020, are going to be a thing of the past. Now, retailers won't be allowed to sell the bulbs. There are no prohibitions stopping people from using the bulbs that they currently own. So you, I guess you can't go even buy an incandescent bulb anymore. I can't sit there and look at, I used to like the, I, I shouldn't say it in past tense. I guess I could still go get one. I used to like to look at the old light bulbs that were clear, and you could see that bulb glowing brightly on the clear clear ones. The DOE, Department of Energy, predicts customers and consumers will save about $3 billion per year on utility bills once the change is complete. No more incandescent, y'all. By the way, the average cost of an LED light bulb is between 5 and $7.00 while incandescent light bulbs used to cost about $2. So, yeah, there we go. Bidenomics for you. You get this new light bulb they claim lasts so much longer, but it's about two to three times or sometimes $4, four times more the cost. Bidenomics, everybody. That's what he wants. He wants Bidenomics. Speaking of Bidenomics, he's going to have a new Anthony Fauci working in Washington, D.C., and this new Fauci comes courtesy of the University of Alabama at Birmingham as Wednesday it was announced that Dr. Jean Marazzo, she's with UAB, and she's been hired as the new director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, a job at NAIID once held by Dr. Anthony Fauci. 
Maruzo is the director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at UAB. And she made frequent appearances on local and national media outlets during COVID-19. She arrived at UAB from the University of Washington back in 2016. She's an expert on sexually transmitted infections, including HIV, which is what Fauci's background was. Can we not get a person to head up this National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases who's actually an expert more on infectious diseases and allergies instead of HIV, which I guess you could say is an infectious disease, but it it didn't seem to work out too good on the Fauci run if we ever have another COVID outbreak, and I'm sure we will at some point. Fauci was the director of the NIAID from 1984 until his 2022 retirement. I knew I hadn't seen him on TV lately. Yes, and now this lady comes and takes over his job from UAB Marazzo, I believe is how you pronounce her name. We'll just have to get her on here and have her pronounce it herself. But uh, Jeannie Marazzo is your new Anthony Fauci in Washington, D.C. Elsewhere in Louisiana, a family that lost three of its nine kids to a drunken crash have gone to TikTok to open people's eyes. On December 17th of 2021, A family of nine children became a family of six children after a drunk driver traveling on the wrong side of the highway plowed into their vehicle as they drove home from a basketball game. Dawn Simmons and her three youngest children, 20-year-old Lindy Simmons, 17-year-old Christopher Simmons, and 15-year-old Cameron Simmons, along with Christopher's girlfriend, were driving on I-49 when a man named Chris Lundy was driving under the influence in the opposite direction and crashed head onto their car. All three of Simmons's kids and Lundy were pronounced dead at a nearby hospital after the crash. Lundy's blood alcohol level was nearly three times the legal limit to drive, according to Louisiana State Police. Dawn Simmons survived the horrible crash. Again, her three youngest children killed in this thing in Louisiana. She survived, and now she's going on TikTok to talk about the tragedy. She and her daughter, Katie, are on TikTok now, proudly sharing pictures and talking about the children that all were killed, beautiful children there in Louisiana. And the mission is, again, to open people's eyes about drinking and driving and more. Remember, I just told you on Wednesday's show about earlier in the week, five people killed in central Georgia this week due to a wrong way driver. I can't prove yet if drinking and driving was a cause of that crash, but a wrong way driver, five people dead in the state of Georgia this week. And now going back a few years to Louisiana, this horrible tragedy relived in this way of grief for the Simmons family is to get on TikTok and remind people of the unfortunate loss of life of those three of the nine kids she had and to open people's eyes. You can, if you're on social media, check out Dawn Simmons and the video message that she currently has out right now. The lighthouse that was a part of the Forrest Gump movie is 
going dark after a lightning strike. Believe it or not, this lighthouse in the movie Forrest Gump was not off of Bayou La Battery and and, and, and uh, Bayou. What was it? Was it Bayou La Battery in Alabama? I think so. It's been 30 years since I've seen Forrest Gump, so my apologies. But lightning has knocked out the lighthouse on the main coast. Port Clyde, Maine is where this lighthouse in Forrest Gump was actually located, the Marshall Point Lighthouse. It's been dark since last week when a lightning strike took out the light and foghorn. So if you're trying to relive the 1994 movie, Forrest Gump, at least for right now, don't go to Maine because this particular lighthouse that Tom Hanks and crew made famous ain't working. It's topped with a lightning rod, rod which was undamaged and will be open to the public on National Lighthouse Day. And that's coming up on Monday, August 7th. You can climb the stairs and reach the top, but there will be no light, according to officials there at the Marshall Point Lighthouse. A little bit out of our coverage area, Port Clyde, Maine, but since it has the ties to Forrest Gump, we thought we would share it with you on today's Y'all Show. Now, this is a little bit closer to home. How about this discovery in the Commonwealth of Kentucky? Might want you uh, might want to make you go out and check your cornfield if you got one. A cache of more than 800 Civil War gold coins has been unearthed in a Kentucky cornfield. This is a treasure worth millions of dollars, and it's being considered as one of the greatest finds of the 21st century. How about that? The Great Kentucky Hoard is what it's called, and it's been valued now at more than $2 million. There are $20 gold pieces dated to 1863. The finder of the coins and the exact location of the apparent buried treasure remain a mystery. That's because of the value of the discovery. But beautiful things. They've got some photos out right now. The owner of Mid-American Rare Coin Gallery in Lexington, Kentucky, got an email from the anonymous anonymous discoverer, Jeff Garrett's his name. He said, someone wanted, me, someone wanted me to look at an 1863 double eagle, which is a very rare coin. It's just a scarce coin because of the year, lower mintage during the Civil War. So I agreed and met at the office. And then when we met at the office, he showed me several more of the coins. And the man revealed that he had located 18 coins in the stash that were double eagles dated to 1863, all from a cornfield somewhere in Kentucky. These roughly $2 million worth of gold coins and more, it looks like Yankee loot. Maybe the Confederates, John Hunt Morgan of Kentucky, perhaps might have taken this from up north and buried it somewhere in the bluegrass while he was fighting for the confederacy in the civil war just just a guess but yes rare gold coins found in a cornfield in the bluegrass and it's like winning the lottery congratulations to whoever found that speaking of lottery i don't know if they've got a winner yet on the powerball but i think i'm going to run out and get some more maybe i'm going to channel some of this kentucky gold coin fun that we're talking about here in our news headlines when we come back on the y'all show we're going to switch over to the world of sports We've got news on Alvin Kamara. We've got news on Nick Saban, Bo Jackson, and a report on NASCAR. All that is right ahead as the All Show Thursday edition continues here on the show that shakes the Southland. 
and we're back on the Y'all Show just a couple of weeks away before Tennessee fans can hear down the field play live and in person at Needland Stadium. A fellow that used to hear that song played when he was suiting up in the Big Orange, Alvin Kamara. He's in the news, by the way, Alvin Kamara. It's almost easy to forget because it's been more than 10 years since he played for this particular team. The New Orleans Saints running back got his start at Alabama in 2013. Then he had to go to community college before landing in Knoxville for the 2015 and 2016 seasons. He's been with the Saints since the 2017 season. And the Atlanta native, the 28-year-old, in the news because he met with Roger Goodell earlier this week. Meeting with the commissioner Wednesday regarding his potential suspension for his involvement in a fight outside a Vegas nightclub way back in 2022. Dennis Allen of the Saints confirmed that Kamara was in New York for the meeting. He expects Kamara to return to the team Friday. The Saints have a scheduled off day today. Allen said the Saints and Kamara felt the meeting was the right thing to do. Kamara reached a plea demon plea agreement at the beginning of July and is no longer facing a felony charge for his role in a fight that happened on the eve of the Pro Bowl back in February 2022. Kamara and three men, including Colts cornerback Chris Lamons, were initially facing a felony charge of battery with substantial bodily harm, as well as a misdemeanor charge of conspiracy to commit battery. The plea agreement from the running back It reduced the charges to a misdemeanor of breach of peace, and he was ordered to do 30 hours of community service and pay Darnell Green Jr., the man injured in the fight, $105,000 for his medical bills. Kamara has had a discussion with GM Mickey Loomis of the Saints about meeting with the league. The league office has not indicated to the team whether Kamara will be suspended or not. I think he'll be all right. There are certainly NFL players making more serious headlines these days. And I'm glad to hear that the NFL office would be willing to have a player like Kamara fly up to New York, and I assume he met with Roger Goodell. But yes, how about a off day? Right now, teams are in the middle of their training camps. I wasn't aware they even got off days. But the New Orleans Saints in their camp there in the New Orleans area enjoying the off day, and Kamara gets his day off by flying up to the Big Apple and kissing the ring. <laughs> we'll see if it matters. <laughs> a guy whose ring probably should be kissed again by Alvin Kamara is his old college football head coach, Nick Saban. How about Saban? He has bought a $17.5 million beachfront home on Jupiter Island in Florida. This is a property that is 6,200 square foot. It's a home there in Jupiter, just up the beach from Mar-a-Lago. I guess that's where this would be, on Jupiter Island. It was originally priced at $21.5 million, and Nick Saban comes in and gets a steal for $4 million less. The house was built back in 1992 and renovated in 2016. It includes six bedrooms, marble floors, a floating staircase, and Florida ceiling glass walls. It also has a 40,000-pound boat lift. It's on a 1.68-acre lot. And it's on Jupiter Island, which is also the home 
to Tiger Woods, Gary Player, Greg Norman, and Celine Dion lives on Jupiter Island in Florida. Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney, he has his own place in that area. He's got a place at Boca Grande. They have second homes, the Sweeney's in Boca Grande, Florida, and now Nick Saban with a home on Jupiter Island. He used to have a lake house. I guess he's moving in from the freshwater lakes of northeast Georgia. He had a place outside of, is it Rayburn Lake? up in northeast Georgia near Clayton, Georgia. It's where Nick Saban and Sweeney both have had places there. And now these two hanging out kind of down the road from each other in South Florida. They have they even have had homes together in the Gasparilla Island community, wherever the heck that is in Florida. You know, these guys are making a lot of money. And they're also winning a lot of national championships. So who am I to judge? But... uh Nick Saban, again, with a new $17.5 million property on Jupiter Island in Florida. Congratulations, Coach. You better win a national championship sooner. You're going to be hanging out at that $17.5 million house a whole lot more in the future. Now, the next Alabama, state of Alabama legend didn't have to spend $17.5 million for his latest little joyride. Bo Jackson, he is opening up a coffee shop, and a bar inside a new hotel that has opened in his college town of Auburn. Yes, the two-sports superstar and Heisman Trophy winner Jackson is going to open up a coffee shop and bar in the new graduate Auburn hotel that's opening up in downtown Auburn in 2024. And if you haven't been in a graduate hotel, you're missing out. They've got now, I think it's 33 college-themed hotels. They're mostly in college towns across the country and if you go in there it is awesome they have really nice artwork great places great bathrooms the bars are awesome too and this thing started in nashville in 2014 that was the first one they had maybe the first one they had was for vanderbilt of all people i I really don't know but i've been into at least one of their chains graduate hotels and The new Auburn graduate is going to be located at 202 West Magnolia Avenue on the site of the former Anders Bookstore. And it closed last year after 56 years in business. If you're familiar with where Anders was in downtown Auburn, this is where this new graduate hotel will be. And the hotel's coffee shop and bar, which will be called Bo Jackson's Beans. Yeah, Bo Jackson's Beans. (laughs) It will honor his contributions to the sports world and decade-spanning career, which began at Auburn in 1982. So, War Eagle, Bo Jackson's Beans, and man, does he still look like he could suit up and knock out a couple of home runs or run a couple of long touchdowns. The Auburn alum and Heisman Trophy winner, Bo Jackson. He's a good one. He's still a good one. The pride of the Kansas City Royals, and I guess baseball-wise, was that all he? Is that all he played for? I know he played for the Raiders of the NFL. I need to double-check his professional career real quick because Bo knows, but John doesn't know. <laughs> I know he only played for the Auburn Tigers. I guess he played for the California Angels at some point. 
So I'm looking at a picture of him. Yeah, baseball-wise, Bo Jackson played for the Royals, White Sox, and wrapped up his career with the California Angels in 1984. And then football-wise, he played for the Los Angeles Raiders, and that was the only team he played for, 1987 to 1990 of the NFL. A Pro Bowl football player, and in baseball, he was an all-star baseball player. 1989, he made the MLB all-star team. 1990, he made the NFL's Pro Bowl. That's one heck of a career, y'all, in addition to winning Heisman as a college player. Bo Jackson, born Vincent Edward Bo Jackson, back in 1962. Bo is currently a comfortable 60 years old. Congratulations to all your success. The Bessemer, Alabama native. Now let's move on from Nick Saban and Bo Jackson talk to talk about NASCAR and NASCAR's Cup Series standings as they're winding their season down. William Byron currently in the clubhouse lead in terms of the NASCAR Cup Series standing. Byron, who drives the number 24 Chevy for Hendricks Motorsports, he has been a formidable force on the NASCAR scene. He recently won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Atlanta back on July 9th and is doing quite well. The NASCAR driver, William Byron, again, in the clubhouse lead in the NASCAR standings. Martin Truex Jr. is in second spot right now, and Kyle Busch. They're all jockeying for the playoffs of NASCAR, which is forthcoming. As far as the PGA Tour, they're getting ready for their own playoffs. And this weekend, as a precursor to that, I believe this is a precursor, you have the Wyndham Championship, and that's going on. I don't think the playoffs get going for another week or two. The Wyndham Championship, it goes down this weekend at Greensboro's Sedgefield Country Club. And that's where the guys on the PGA Tour find themselves. Tom Kim is the defending champ of the Wyndham Championship. Yes, next week. Is when the FedEx Cup, the the playoff of golf, starts, and it's going to start in Memphis at the FedEx St. Jude Championship at TC TPC Southwind with a twenty million dollar purse at stake. They go from the Memphis event on to the BMW Championship on the weekend of August seventeenth through twenty. That's up in the Chicago area. Then it's on to Atlanta and the Tour Championship at the end of August. Then the Ryder Cup is held right at the beginning of October. And that's going to be in Italy this year for that event. So that is a quick update on some Southern sports news here on today's Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this Thursday edition up with a look at some great festivals taking place across Dixie this weekend. You don't want to miss the fun from corn to watermelons to a lot of music being played. It's quite a hoot this weekend in the South. And we'll tell you all about it when we come right back. If you drink, don't drive.
watermelon crawl. Uh, they're going to be doing the Water Valley Watermelon Crawl this weekend. I'll tell you about that event in Mississippi in just a second. Welcome back. It is the Y'all Show. We're going to wrap up this Thursday talking about some great festivals going on in the southeast this very weekend. And we start off in Shreveport. This weekend, it's the 6th Annual Ratchet City Music Fest. And that's taking place at East, East Lot in Shreveport, Louisiana. And that's both Saturday and Sunday. You can check out this 6th Annual event. And the artists performing include Tina B, Go DJ Static Shock, Go DJ Teddy B, DJ Lex, and a lot more. They'll have food vendors, merchant vendors, a petting zoo, school supplies given out in the kids zone and more it's the ratchet city music fest in shreveport this weekend check it out it goes until 11 o'clock both saturday and sunday if you're in the shreveport area in northwest louisiana check out ratchet city music fest this weekend go to herman missouri it's the missouri bourbon festival on missouri road 100 and that's Saturday from 3 to 10. Get your bourbon on in Mizzou this weekend. Checking out things in Hyden, Kentucky this weekend. One of the Osborne brothers just passed away. This weekend, it's the Osborne Brothers Hometown Festival in Hyden, Kentucky at the Bobby Osborne Pavilion. This is Saturday from 12 to 4. A little bluegrass music being played in Kentuck in Hyden, Kentucky to be specific the Osborne Brothers Hometown Festival going on this weekend. This weekend in Springdale, Arkansas, that's near Fayetteville, it's the 124th Tonnet Town Grape Festival. And that's in Springdale, Arkansas, and that's going on until Sunday, August 6th. Now, Tonnet Town is a city within Washington County in Arkansas. It's a small community connected to Springdale. Fayetteville's close by, and it's right there in this beautiful Ozark Mountain area of northwest Arkansas. And this little Tonnet town was founded by Italian settlers back in 1899, and this area is known for its grapes and wines. And Tonnet town has hosted the Tonnet town grape festival continuously since way back in 1898. What a tremendous honor. Now, the name Tonnet town, it's because this community was led by a Catholic priest who eventually became mayor of the city and Italian settlers in that area working on Lakeport plantation in the Arkansas Delta moved to Northwest Arkansas and found that the climate and terrain similar to their native Northern Italy and Tonnet town was settled in 1898 and named for the Italian explorer, Henry D. Tonti, T-O-N-T-I. I didn't know that there was an Italian explorer named Tonti. I'd heard about a guy named Columbus once, but yeah, how about that? This is a community in northwest Arkansas that owes its heritage to the Italian settlers that came in there and they named their community after an Italian explorer, Henry de Tanti. And Tonnet Town is where you'll find this weekend the 124th Tonnet Town Grape Festival. Right there in Tonnet Town, which is kind of sort of Springdale, Arkansas in northwest Arkansas. Go have a great time if you're able to do. Now, if you have a great time there, it might not compare to the good time that's going to be held this weekend in Stewart, Florida. Uh, They won't be drinking a lot of wine there. I won't tell you what they'll be having at the Jerry Garcia Days Between Fest 
at the Terra Fermata this weekend in Stewart, Florida. And that's Saturday all afternoon into the evening. Jerry Garcia, Days Between Fest, Stewart, this weekend. In Greensboro, Alabama this weekend, it's the Black Belt Birding Festival in Greensboro. That's not far from Tuscaloosa in West Alabama, right in the Black Belt. That's why it's called the Black Belt Birding Festival. And this is a festival that lasts both Friday and Saturday in Greensboro, AL. This weekend in Winston-Salem, it's the Gears and Guitars Festival 2023. And at the uh, Gears and Guitars Fest 2019 Center in Winston-Salem. Again, this is going down all weekend long with a little music and some cars and more. You should be able to have a lot of fun in Winston-Salem, North Carolina this weekend. It's the Gears and Guitars Festival. In Myrtle Beach, across the state line into the Palmetto State, this weekend it's the Craftsman's Classic Art and Craft Festivals. This is at the Myrtle Beach Convention Center, right on the Grand Strand's capital city, if you will, of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Craftsman's Classic Art and Craft Festival. And having stayed at the convention center last year, I had no idea that the old Myrtle Beach Mall had been torn down And so that whole area between the convention center and the Grand Strand, the beach area, is nothing but parking lots. So they can have massive cars on display. In fact, I was there in February last year, and I must have seen 500 classic cars out there. It wasn't even a show. People just love to come to Myrtle Beach and show off their cars no matter what the month. So that's going on this weekend. Check it out if you have the opportunity. In Timonium, Maryland this weekend, it's the Maryland Latino Festival at the Maryland State Fairground offices. This is Sunday morning is when this Maryland Latino Festival gets underway. In Dillard, Georgia this weekend, it's the Dillard Bluegrass and Barbecue Festival. Dillard is in Rabin County. That is in the extreme northeast corner of Georgia, right where North Carolina and South Carolina meet Georgia. And Dillard, you might have heard of the Dillard House. Well, that's a really very popular tourist attraction that you'll find in Dillard, Georgia. And in that small town, people come from all over to go to the Dillard House, which is known as a restaurant. It's a place you can stay and a conference center. And at the Dillard House, they're known for their traditional Southern food. I've been by there, y'all. I have not had a meal at Dillard House. It's on my bucket list. In fact, I need to go there this weekend because I can have a meal at the Dillard House and y'all can join me. But all of us can have a good time at the Dillard Bluegrass and Barbecue Festival at 892 Franklin Street in Dillard, Georgia. And Franklin Street is probably called Franklin Street because just up the road from Dillard, you got Franklin, North Carolina, a lovely place there in western North Carolina. Again, bluegrass and barbecue going on in Dillard, Georgia this weekend. They definitely have good music. They've definitely got good food. And they definitely got good watermelons going on in Water Valley, Mississippi this weekend. It is, I don't have the exact number, around the 80th Watermelon Carnival going on in this North Mississippi community put on by the Water Valley Area Chamber of Commerce on Main Street and on the Courthouse Square of Water Valley, Mississippi. It's the Watermelon Carnival. They have the Watermelon Queen. They got a contest to count the heaviest or weigh the heaviest watermelon they got a seed spitting contest and more it's just a classic early august 
reunion of sorts in Water Valley, 20 miles south of Oxford. And there in Water Valley, the home of Rebel, you can check out the Watermelon Carnival, and it's going on this weekend in North Mississippi. In Alamo, Tennessee, that is in West Tennessee, in Crockett County, this weekend, it's the 2023 West Tennessee Cotton Festival at Crockett Mills Community Center, and that is just outside of Alamo, Tennessee. And yes, this portion of Tennessee, known for its cotton growing and more, and that cotton will be ready to start being picked here in just a couple of weeks. And they celebrate cotton. I guess they're having one more fun time before they got to get out there, before everybody's got to get out there and pick cotton in a couple of weeks. And the cotton festival going on in Crockett County in the county seat of Alamo this weekend. Check it out. This weekend in Mosley, Virginia, an unincorporated area that is located in Powhatan Community and in, in Powhatan and Chesterfield counties just outside of Richmond, Virginia. This weekend in Mosley, it's the Sunflower Sweet Corn Festival. Rather, let me correct that. It's the Sunflower and Sweet Corn Festival in Mosley, Virginia at the Chesterfield Berry Farm on Pear Orchard Road. Yeah, don't want to leave out either one of those great items. Sunflowers and sweet corn right there in the capital area of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And let me wrap things up telling you about what else is going on. Austin, Texas this weekend, it's the Fat Gator Weekend Festival. They got all kind of great musical acts that will be there at the Walker E. Long Metropolitan Park in Austin. The Fat Gator Weekend Festival. Enid, Oklahoma this weekend. It's the 6th Annual Enid Comic Con going on at the Stride Bank Center. And we have one more thing we want to pass along as far as events this weekend. In West Virginia, go to the West Virginia Peach Festival. That's taking place in Romney. And that is over in the Potomac Highlands area of the Mountain State. And in this beautiful town of 1700, you will find a wonderful event. The West Virginia Peach Festival taking place Friday through Sunday in Romney, West Virginia. And that will wrap up our fun here on this Thursday Y'all Show with lots of great events for you to go out and enjoy. There is no excuse to be sitting around this weekend and saying, I ain't got anything to do. We just told you plenty of stuff to do. We'll be back on Friday for more of the Southern Fun. Until that time, and y'all have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Y'all Show.